Turn in your Bible this morning to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16. Matthew, chapter 16. Rebecca, are you still here? There she is. She asked me, told me I didn't have to do this, but I wanted to acknowledge her. Rebecca and her husband, first of all, have served our church for years and years in voluntary uh, places of service from kids and anywhere. Just They just serve. And Rebecca has served our church so faithfully as a children's pastor here for a year and a half. Is that right? Full time. And I just, uh, she had gave us her notice uh, about a month ago and said, look, I'll, I want to serve and help and has just made it so easy a transition for us. She left us set up uh, perfectly, teams in place. And she said, I, I still want to stay here. I said, you can't go nowhere. You, we, you're a family. And I just wanted y'all to give a chance to honor her and Jeremy this morning and bless them for their service. When anyone comes to you and says, you know, I think I need to make a change here because I feel the Lord leading me to spend more time with my family. I said, God's best to you. She served us so wonderful. We love you and you can't ever leave. You can't ever go nowhere. Okay. Matthew chapter 16, beginning with verse 21. If you're there, say amen. And from that time forth, Jesus began to show unto his disciples how he must go into Jerusalem And suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and raised again the third day. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from you, Lord. And the translations, many translations expound it differently. They said, Never let it be so. Almost as far as to say, I will not let this happen. It would be the wrong thing. Be it far from you, Lord. This shall not be unto you. But Jesus turned and said unto Peter, Get behind me, Satan. Now mark that in your Bible. For you are an offense to me. And here's why. For you savorest not the things that be of God, but instead those that be of men. And then Jesus said unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. And whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and he shall reward every man according to his works. And Luke 14, 27, in the same portion of uh, Scripture says, And whosoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So whosoever does not follow after me and voluntarily pick up his cross, cannot be my disciple. We have made the badge of Christianity all the things that it's not. My faith in Jesus Christ and my new life will come out in my words, but my Christianity is not my words. It will come out in my deeds, and my Christianity is not my deeds. It will come out in the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, meekness, self-control. But that is not my salvation. The evidence, the badge of the Christian is not gifting, but cross-bearing. To be a disciple of Jesus Christ, 
means that it's not only what I believe and what I profess and what ministry that I'm involved in, but it's that I enter into the same pathway that Jesus Christ himself lived. And his pathway was, I have come to do thy will, O God. I've come to do thy will. We think of disciples as those that don't do something. And the element of sanctification is there. I do not uh, drink or take drugs. I do not cheat on my wife. I do not do those things. But that is not the evidence. That's not the deciding, determining factor. Jesus said, if you do not voluntarily pick up your cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. And for generations, I've heard it preached through what is left out that as long as you believe, just believe. Now we understand, and I'm giving you just a little bit of introduction here. We understand that we are saved by grace through faith, not of works. Salvation comes not of works, but discipleship is evidenced by the works. It's evidenced. Me taking up a cross does not save me. It's the evidence of the salvation that resides in me and the following of Jesus. In just a moment, I'm going to talk to you about what the cross is. But I want to touch this one scripture and then get right into the sermon. Simon said, be it far from you, Lord. Because Jesus had told him how he must go and suffer many things and be crucified. Simon said, be it far from you. And that same satanic gospel is being preached today. And the satanic gospel is this. Jesus did not have to die and you do not have to die. Jesus did not have to die and you do not have to die. And please don't take me out of context. It's just we're being inundated with an imbalanced description of Christianity. And these people I quote from and these pastors I quote from, I'm not judging their heart. I'm just telling you, you better have the other side of the nickel or you're going to be in trouble. Okay. God wants me to have my best life now. Yes. But what does that mean? It means death to my old man so that my new man can come out. It's not a comfort driven gospel. It's a cause driven gospel. So. Let's pray. You pray for me this morning as well. God, as I have this opportunity to preach your word, I ask you to allow me to be clear and anointed more than anything else. Anointed more than anything else. Let the words of my mouth be like the pen of a ready writer. Let it reach into the soul of people. Let the light come on. Darkness be dissipated so that we might be transformed in the image of your son, Jesus Christ. Let us not grab the tinsel crown that the world offers us. But let us hold on to the eternal value of the eternal crown that Jesus Christ will give us at his appearing. And I thank you for this opportunity. In Jesus' name, amen. Number one, if you're taking notes, being a disciple is a matter of choice. Jesus said to his disciples, if any man, anyone can be a disciple of Christ, but God will not ever make you one. God made me a Christian. When he touched my heart by his Holy Spirit, he quickened me enough to understand the gospel. He convicted me so that I would have permission to repent. I repented. Salvation was the work of the Lord, not of the will of man. Not of the will of man. You didn't choose him. He chose 
you. So salvation is of the Lord, but discipleship is not of the Lord, it's of you. If any man wants to, so that implies that there are many Christians that do not. How sad would it be to be a believer and not a disciple? What was the trademark of disciples as they lived? Nearness to Jesus. Nearness to Jesus. We choose how near we are. We choose how closely we follow. We choose how quickly we follow. We choose how far we travel. And we choose our attitude along the way. You have the walk and relationship with Jesus Christ today that you choose to have. Same with me. It doesn't matter how you were raised, what's missing, what was taken from you. Because no one, no one can make you not follow Jesus closely. There's great uproar about not having prayer in the school. And I understand the motive, but hear me. Can't nobody stop your baby from praying? Be right in the middle of lunch and everybody's sitting down cranking all kind of hellish music. Your baby bows her head. Thank you, Lord, for my grits and gravy. Thank you, God, for today. You, you can walk through the current of this world and pray and stand and believe. Discipleship is a choice. Disciple means apprentice. Disciple means student. So when I got saved, I was a son. What kind of student are you? How under authority are you to the Lord? What are your grades? Like our babies tell us, I don't believe in school. I don't like school. You're like, I'll take you out of this world. Oh, we don't do that anymore. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. sorry. Well, I'll time out you. If you don't. Only time out I ever had, they whipped so hard I'd be about to pass out. Uh, time out. Time out. I'm about to die up in here. Lord, give us a revival. Okay. Number two, being a disciple is a matter of direction. Jesus said, you would come after me. Not just walk. Not just walk rightly. Don't be deceived by those that say the goal is to walk morally. No, that's an effect. We are not following morality. We are not following this social gospel, even though we're called to feed the poor and clothe the naked, that is not what we follow. We follow the Lord Jesus and those works flow from that. It is direction, not your intention, that determines your destination. It is direction, not intention, that determines your destination. I intend on going to Florida and I'm going to take 75 north to do it. I really want to see the beach desperately. And I've got three people that are traveling with me. It is the path you choose that determines the destination, not intentions. You can be clueless. This is going to help someone here. Some of us that aren't as smart as the other people on our row. You can be clueless and take 95 South. And then you come up on an interstate sign that say Daytona Beach. You go, oh, the beach. It is the direction you travel. Are you a follower of the Lord Jesus? Not the Lord Jesus, then the church, then the pastor, and then the television minister. No, 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 no. Jesus, his words, you, and you find expression in the local church and parachurch organizations. If any man will come after me, 
We are never disciples by our words, but by our pursuit of Christ. We are never disciples by choosing our own path, regardless of intentions. Disciples are they which follow the Christ, not the crowd. And you better be careful following the democratic uh, groupings of believers in what they believe. Be careful. We don't follow what is popular. Much of what is popular on television today is not the words of Christ. And I tell you all the time, if what Pastor John says from this pulpit contradicts the word of God, I am either a liar or I'm wrong. We are followers of the Christ, not the crowd. Crowds are dumb. Herd mentality. Just walk right off the cliff. Follow each other. Let me give you the scripture. Matthew 7. Enter in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And many there be go in that way. Straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life. And few there be with which find it. Being a disciple is a matter of choice and it's a matter of direction. Number three, and this is the main part of what I want to share with you this morning. It's a matter of self-denial. It is a matter of self-denial. Let him deny himself. It says in Romans 15, 3, that Christ pleased not himself. Acts 20, 24, Paul said, Neither do I count my life dear unto myself. There is no such thing as a believer that follows Christ and lives to please himself. Denying self is not just small things like I'm going to not eat ice cream today. Uh, I'm not going to do this small thing. A denial of self in its original form in the Greek means to renounce yourself. Which means I disassociate with you. This is where split personality comes into being right here. It says, I do not trust you, John, my spirit man, talking to my soul that lives in this body. I do not trust you. Your heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. You're easily tricked. You're carnal. You avoid the light because your deeds are evil. I don't trust you. I renounce myself so that I can follow Christ. If you live for pleasure, what you want, the Bible says, he that liveth in pleasure is dead while they live. Now, God grants us many pleasures and joys. The lot of the Christian is so much better than the unbeliever. But I don't get to choose the lot. You follow me? I have to renounce myself. I mean, let me make it clear. We need to, when we deny ourselves, that means no reserves, no limitations, no exclusions, and no exceptions. I deny my righteousness. Romans 15, 9 says, being found in Jesus, not having my own righteousness. I denounce any goodness that someone might say of me because we know that the only good thing in our life cometh by the Holy Spirit and the grace of God in our life. We denounce it. Many religions elevate, promote, and put a spotlight on the goodness of man. But Paul said, I have not my own righteousness I denounce it, I turn away from it and make myself a candidate of mercy saying, there is no good within me. I accept your verdict of me. Might I find grace in your sight? You can't follow Jesus without denouncing your own righteousness. Denying your will. 
denying your wisdom. I don't trust myself in this situation. I'm not going to make a decision until I fast and pray because I renounce my ability to process and take all the facts and choose correctly. Because the last time I did that, I almost wound up in Guyana with everybody else. I'm not doing that. I'm denouncing my own wisdom. Do you still rely on your own wisdom? Or do you bring it before the Lord? Lord, should I take this job? I don't care how good it looks. I don't care how good. I don't want to be out of your will. I renounce my ability to even process it correctly. Oh, that's what the Lord gave you common sense for. I didn't say we didn't have common sense. I said I renounce my capacity to process and yield to his wisdom. That is a denial of self. It's a humility. Denying your own importance. Your own exaltation. Denying your self-glorying. Self-seeking. Self-indulgence. Self-consciousness. Self-preservation. You'll hear a Christian say, I got to live. Do you? I'll talk to people that are shacked up, living in sin. And I said, you, you, you're a believer? Yes. I'll open the scripture up and give it to them. And it says, those that commit these transgressions shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Shall not. How readest thou? Am I become your enemy now because I tell you the truth? And they say, well, we got to live. We can't afford two places on our own. Say, oh, you ever hear the tuning fork just go, ding. So here's what we're saying. I have a choice in following Jesus. But if I follow him according to the morality that he commands, that they're even abstained from even the appearance of evil, if I follow him, we're going to have two rent payments, two gas payments, two phone payments, two power payments, groceries and everything, and we won't be able to live on this side of the town. We're going to have to go in the peach orchard over here. And watch. And without saying it, here's what they said. And I will not deny myself that comfort to follow the Lord Jesus. I'm preaching better than you're responding, but that's okay because, you know, we can't say nothing because they're on our row and we can't say nothing to them, you know. No, I don't have to make it. No, I don't have to keep the things I've worked for. No, I don't have to preserve myself. Now, I am a... Uh, I love football. I, I can't watch a whole game. It's like three hours. I DVR it and watch it like 18 minutes, watch the whole game. Fast forward through all the boring plays and the commercials and everything. But I'm going to tell you a spirit, and I don't mean demonic like a demon, but I mean a spirit, an attitude, a mindset that is found in sports, and it's all through the church too. Anybody in here over 40, guys, we watched football back when they played football? And you could hit, not only could you hit somebody, you could hit somebody. You remember? Okay. But there was one thing missing. There was contact. There was skill level. There was guts and determination. And there was uh, the speed and the prowess. But I'll tell you what they didn't have. When they made a tackle, just, just a tackle, not won a game, not, 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 not save the day, nothing heroic, just made a tackle. They didn't jump up and run around the field Telling everybody to clap them, you know, just uh, bring it, bring it. I'm the greatest. They didn't. You caught a pass, that's what we pay you to do. Shut up and come to the huddle. Just shut up. Just shut up. Made one tackle. Now, they didn't scored 42 points on you, but you made that tackle. And you're great. It's called self-glorying. 
self-glory. See me. Notice me. Exalt me. Promote me. Recognize me. I'm going to get close to you. Watch, watch. Because I've this is coming out of my soul. Appreciate me. You bake your cakes for the church homecoming. They ate everybody your cake and didn't thank you. Didn't thank you. Mowed my neighbor's grass. I remember when they write you thank you letters. Didn't write me nothing. And that's that flesh part of us that says, I must be recognized, appreciated, promoted, reciprocated. And Jesus said, to follow me, you've got to make yourself, you've got to humble yourself in the form of a servant. Gird yourself with a towel. And here's what he told him. You don't even know what I'm doing yet, but you will one day. And make yourself of no reputation, no appreciation, no promotion. And because God saw that in me, I'm summarizing a lot of this message in the life of Jesus. And because of God seeing that in Christ, therefore he hath highly exalted me and given me a name among every other name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Now we're not talking about taking a throne seat next to Jesus. But if I'm following him and I abase myself and I empty myself and we serve without recognition, we do all these things, then there's a day coming when God brings us from the back row to the front row and the invisible servants of the Lord Jesus Christ become well-known in the kingdom and they shall be called great in the kingdom. We categorize greatness by gifting. If you're on a platform, you're great. If you're a preacher, you're great. If you're a worship leader, you're great. Not necessarily. I met a pastor this week and he was just came and I was humbled. He would even call me and ask me for time. He said, I just want to ask your advice on something like me. Just you want to ask me? He said, yeah, I wanted to ask. So he said, I'm sorry. I was uh, some I forgot the context of how it brought up. He said, but I I went to this uh, widow's house today. He said, "I, I told her husband that uh, he was dying. He said, I want you to know I'm going to take care of her. And he said, every day for six years, I went to her house to check on her. What? And I'm not trying to get effect. I'm thinking God that knows all things and sees all things, sees that. To go and check on a woman you're not related to means that he valued Him and her above himself. And that is what Jesus does. It's a a renouncing of myself. Knowing that God is going to take care of me. And instead of spending my life on myself. I invest my life in other people. This denial. Let him deny himself. It's not a one time. Oh that would be so much easier. One time. Now you might think I'm being morbid. But I'm going to ask how many of you think like this. It'd be easier just to put the gun there and say, denounce the Lord Jesus. Go ahead and pull it. I'm just, let's get it over with. Just get it over with. It is for me. One time and get be done with it. But denying yourself in this life is like cashing a million dollar check and getting dimes. Getting it all in dimes. And telling yourself, every time you tell yourself, no, that's a dime. You want to, I'm going to give them a piece of my mind. Never mind, never mind, never mind. Your flesh and you are going to have a battle. 
Because it demands to be seen, it demands to be heard, it demands to be recognized, it demands to be appreciated, and in the end, it will demand to be worshipped. And Jesus said, if you don't follow me, or if you're going to follow me, the first thing is deny yourself. So how are we doing in that? No answer. My greatest problem in my life is my flesh. It's not the devil. It's not the government. It's not our president. It's not the socioeconomic conditions of this world. This world is going to hell in a handbag. I don't know if you've noticed or not. Spiraling out of control. It has to. It has to. And may I just throw this in here? It's not in my sermon, but I think I just feel prompted to share it. Our economy, in my opinion, is doomed for destruction. And here's why. To be part of a one-world government and a one-world currency, it would have to be profitable for the U.S. to do that, for us to ever consider doing that, because we're the standard. Well, if the dollar collapses and our government really collapses, if the nations of the earth decide on a one-world currency that will elevate our economic value... We'll take it. And that's the entrance to the very last part of the last days where the geopolitical figure of the Antichrist will come in, solve the Middle East crisis, and then there will be no buying nor selling in the earth without the mark of the beast, which will simply be, in my opinion, the RFID chip in your hand or head. And they just scan like they would a card. So it's not going to get better. The financial part's not going to get better. We're not trying to fix the world What we need to be responsible for is to make sure that you're walking near enough to Christ that if something great is asked of you, you're already in practice because you're giving the small things away every day. Don't tell me you'll let your baby die for the message of Jesus Christ if we won't put to death ourselves in little ways. What will happen if it comes time and they said, Denounce the Lord, Pastor John. Or we'll kill you. Kill me. Denounce the Lord or we'll kill your wife and babies. The only way we navigate the, the paramount things is if we're already in the process of telling ourselves, I renounce you and I don't have to preserve you. I have to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how martyrs become martyrs. We're not looking for that and I'm not trying to scare you, but you need to know that gross darkness is coming and darkness is going to cover the face of the earth. But the children of God are going to rise and shine and the glory of the Lord is going to be seen on them and in them. You mean you'd let your baby die? Let me tell you something. Every part of me would fall apart. And the moment one of them passed away and I passed away, before our feet got cold, we'd be in the presence of Jesus. Period. (laughs) To be a disciple, you have to denounce yourself and leave your preserving and your provision and your promotion and your appreciation to God. Or you're going to live a tormented existence in your Christian life. Being a disciple is a matter of personal suffering. Take up your cross and follow me. 1 Peter 2.21 says, 
For this reason were you called, because Christ suffered for us, leaving you an example that you should follow his steps. The statement, take up your cross, is not an issue of faith, but one of experience. In the same way that Jesus carried his cross, submitting to the will of the Father, so do we. Your cross is not something like relational difficulty, physical limitation, or struggle. You'll hear people say, yeah, I've been married to the old man for 50 years. He's my burden. He's my cross that I carry. Yeah, that's my, 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 this whole car is my cross. Got 650,000 miles on it. That's my cross I carry. My feet shaped like a squash. That's my cross that I carry. Nope, nope. I have physical limitation. That's my cross. Nope. Your cross is the renouncing of yourself. When, when they put the cross on Jesus, the Roman government being moved by God, placed a verdict upon him. And when a man drugged the cross through the city, it was his surrender of his will to the higher power. And they would carry their cross. You can't follow Jesus and not suffer. He was the man of sorrows. It's not all suffering. But somewhere we got taught that if you stand and face the north and quote three scriptures, then God just takes you out of everything. The Holy Spirit leads you into the wilderness like Jesus. If the Lord led Jesus into the, if the Father led Jesus into the wilderness, so will you. If he led him into mockery, you'll be mocked. If he led him into ridicule, if he led him into people blaspheming him and, and misrepresenting him. Put this mind in you that was in Christ Jesus. He suffered in the will of God, willingly. And the Bible said if we suffer for things we've done, well, even the heathen do that. But if we suffer for things we've not done, then that brings glory to the Lord. It's not how articulate I preach that impresses me. It shouldn't. It's how you're able to suffer. Because if we suffer with him, we shall also Reign with him in glory. Your cross is that which experientially identifies you with Christ. Hebrews 13 says, Wherefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. Let us therefore go there unto him, bearing his reproach. Okay, I may not get to all of it. I need to address this part here. When God says we're a peculiar people, it doesn't mean we're weird. Weird is not the fruit of the Holy Spirit. People real hyper-spiritual and deep and then they're weird. That's not what peculiar means. And Jesus, yes, he was the friend of sinners. But he was despised and hated. And there's this feeling in books that I read and in Christian circles and in the media that if the world doesn't like us, we're not doing our job. And so we keep taking every point off of what Christ taught to where we're no different than them and they accept us. Now, I don't believe you ought to be that Christian that's, you know, they're all going to hell and I hope it's tomorrow and you're over here this way. But why would Jesus say you're going to be hated by all men for my sake, which means mankind? It means because your life following after Jesus will remind them of their own sin. And one of the things that's being 
diluted in our faith is the pointing out and standing saying, this is sin, this is sin. Paul told the king, you should not have your brother's wife. You you shouldn't do that. And see, the suffering comes in when your light is on. We don't suffer because of our sins. We suffer when someone will say, so you're telling me Jesus is the only way. Yes. Well, my Allah is your God. No. The hate comes because Christianity is the only religion on the face of the earth that says one way. One way. And that's where persecution comes from in third world nations. All over third world nations. Children are kicked out of their home at five and six years old and thrown into the streets because they prayed to to God through Jesus. God does not place your cross upon you. You pick it up voluntarily. Jesus said, no man taketh my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. Your cross is a personal experience specifically tailored to you and no two crosses are the same. Even if your situations look the same, they're not the same. Everyone has the opportunity to renounce their self, follow after God and suffer patiently for being known by his name. And your cross is different than mine. I don't work where you work. You don't work where I work. You've got different family than me. But the principle is the same. And it cost everyone the same thing. Suffering. Your cross, just like Jesus's, was an instrument of great exposure, vulnerability, humiliation, and shame. Your cross will come with hatred and mockery and disdain from those who know not God. Your, your cross is an instrument of great pain. I know we've got it in gold now and in silver and it's shiny and it catches the light. But no, this cross was an instrument of torture. And to truly follow after Jesus Christ, you are going to sign up for great pain that other believers don't experience. Well, John, if someone doesn't take up their cross, are they saved I can't judge that. Because whosoever believeth, whosoever cometh to him, he will in no wise cast him out. But I will tell you this. If you don't carry your cross, you're not near him, nor are you like him. Your cross is not only an instrument of great pain. Most simply stated, your cross is an instrument of death. They put Christ on the cross to kill him. And if you take up your cross, listen, you're going to die. Your, your goals. When you take up your cross, you say, I want to do this. but I submit my life to you. God, we're done raising babies. We're done. Thank you, Lord. We're done. And this little neighborhood boy doesn't have a mama. They left him and abandoned him. Or he's homeless and he's 11. And you go, God, I really wanted to be done. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will. My dreams Put your dreams in place. My goals, my my decisions, my desires. What do you want me to do? And the cross will put a, it puts the you to death. Not the physical you. The, the you that demands its own way. That willingness is the badge of the Christian. That says you pick for me. You pick where I work. You pick where I worship. You pick my spouse. You pick how many children I have. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You pick for me. That's the cross. Now bear with me. I'm going to tie this up together. Jesus was in the garden. 
all God and all man. That's, that's a mystery to me. I, I can't wrap my mind around it. So what, when was he knowing all? And when was he kept from knowing all because he was a man? We know he was God and we know he was man. But in the garden, it is crystal clear that he knew what was ahead of him. My opinion was he knew in detail what was going to happen. He knew they were going to pull his beard out by their hands. And they were going to smite him as he was blindfolded and say, prophesy unto us who it was that hit you. He knew they were going to put a reed in his hand and they were going to whip him with a cat of nine tails to where the flesh literally fell off his back like confetti just to the ground. He knew this was coming. And here's what he said. Father, if there's any other way. Now, when you say, you don't even have to tell me what it is. Just anything else, I'll take it. He was sweating drops of blood through the pores of his skin. His soul was in anguish. And what he was saying is, I don't want this. If there's any other way, you pick it. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. That's the cross. Nevertheless, not what I wanted, but what you wanted. Nevertheless, not what I prayed for, but what you planned for. Nevertheless, not what I desire, but you desire. Take my life, O Lord. For those of you that feel God's call on your life, it could be to use me or if God sits you down and doesn't let you be used. Whatever you pick, whatever you pick, whatever you pick, it is torturous. It is painful. You are misunderstood and you may be maligned. But God never took his eyes off Christ. He never took his eyes off Christ. And if we're to follow Jesus, we must come to the place where we say, On a daily basis, but at key pivotal times especially. Not my will, but your will be done in my life. That's the cross. Ben, if you would come, please. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Being a disciple is a paradox. Whosoever saves his life shall lose it. And whosoever loses his life shall find it. He who embraces the cross cannot truly live. And he that embraces the cross cannot truly die in the end. To those with spiritual understanding, we know that whatever we give God, we never lose. Dying is living. Giving is receiving. Loss is gain. Suffering leads to comfort. The last shall be first. The first shall be last. We humble ourselves to be exalted and we descend into greatness by serving other people. If we follow Jesus, then it's a matter of our choosing. It's a matter of direction. It's a matter of self-denial and it's a matter of suffering. It's a great paradox, but it's also a matter of resurrection. It's also being a disciple is a matter of resurrection. There can be no resurrection where there is no death. And there can be no practical walking in a newness of life until we bear about in our body the dying of the Lord Jesus. Every part of your old man that you let die, God will birth something new in you. Every part of your old man that you let die, God will birth something new in you. And finally, being a disciple is a matter of eternal reward. Being a disciple is a matter of eternal reward. 
The Bible says about Moses in Hebrews 11. When Moses became of age, he chose to suffer with the people of God than enjoy the pleasures of sin in in Egypt. He He esteemed the reproach of Christ greater than the riches in Egypt. So he come out of Pharaoh's house and became a peasant. Lived through the Exodus, led the children of Israel out, failed the Lord, was judged. It seemed like he lost it all and gained nothing. We don't even know how he died. The Bible said that Moses died and God buried him. So he died alone, right? So he thinks of all he lost, all he left, the greatest nation on the face of the earth, and some would argue in the history of the world. And he's Pharaoh's son. And he said, I'd rather suffer with a group of y'all than be the son of the king in this world. I'd rather be, thank you, Lord, the son of the king in the next world than the son of the king in this world. He struggled, he failed. Smoked the rock when God told him to speak to it. God judged him. Said you won't go into Canaan. It's done. You know. It's it's hard to follow the Lord. It's hard. It's blessed. But it's hard. So God buries him on the side of some mountain. They cry for 30 days. And God tells Joshua. Come on. It's time to take the children of Israel. You've cried enough. And they went into Canaan. The next time we hear from Moses. Jesus is on what we call the Mount of Transfiguration. And there's Elijah. Who never died. Moses. So you got a a type of the law and the prophets. And they're being transfigured. I still. Doing word studies. It don't. It's not clear what that means. But. If you can imagine someone. Being flesh. Glorified. Flesh glorified. Just glory pulsing out of them. Just like a whirlwind of. Pulses of light and energy. And Simon Peter sees Elijah and Moses. And Jesus, he goes, oh, it's good that we're here. I like this. This is a mountain of glory. We all want to live on the mountain of glory. And God spoke from heaven and said, this is my son. Hear him, which in Greek means shut up. Listen to Jesus. Stop. And immediately Moses and Elijah kind of went out of the picture. And Jesus said, it's time to come off the mountain and let's go down the hill and serve. There's a man with a demon-possessed son. We've got to go help him. We've got to help him. But back to Moses. This is where I'm going to close. Here's this man that lost it all. And Moses never even got to go into Canaan. The children of the rebels he tried to leave did, but he didn't. But the next time we see him, he's on a mountain in Canaan. He didn't get to go in. He got to go in. Can you imagine him sitting there with glory around him, glory in him? He goes, how you like me now? Because every pathway of denial leads to glory. Every time you tell Jesus yes, it leads to glory. Every time a dream dies, it leads to glory. Because if we die with Jesus, when Jesus got up, we got up with Jesus. So you're coming out, you come out of everything. We come out of every wound, every hurt, every loss, every disappointment, every tragedy. We peer over into the graves of those that we've buried and we say, you're a lie. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And everyone that's ever died in Christ is getting back up again. And so shall we be joined with them in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. If you 
still live for you, then you do not live for God. You don't. But if you live for God, He's going to give you a wonderful life. But it will have its share of suffering and loss, but it always leads to glory. I really don't know how to end, except may we be found in Him, near Him, close to Him, close to Him. If you'll give me just one minute more, I'll let you go. I'm thinking a lot lately about my legacy. A lot. A lot. If I get to heaven and God said, I gave you a small gift of communication and you communicated. But you live for you. And I'm disappointed in you. So what have I gained? You preach, you pioneer churches, you have seven churches, we minister in the prison, we spend our life. But if I've denied myself and said, I renounce me to serve you, it led Jesus to the highest place of glory. And if we follow him, we'll find ourselves in the highest places of glory. And one day, Jesus is going to call me up and we're going to review my life, all the failures, shortcomings, everything else. But then he's going to talk to me about pastoring. If I've done anything right, I believe that I've had a heart of a pastor for you. And he's going to offer me a shepherd's crown. For every lie that they said. First of all, you got way more good than you deserve. So don't misunderstand it. For every hurt and every sorrow and every loss. And for leading the sheep you get this reward and I'm going to get to take it from him and take it off and say it was unto you oh Lord be all the glory and the honor and the praise may we be found near him serving him dying for him walking outside the camp let him talk oh you one of those Jesus people yes unashamedly yes So you just believe Jesus is going to come take you out of here. Yes, that's what I believe. I'm not embarrassed of the Lord or his Holy Spirit or the gifts of the Spirit or the promise of heaven. Any person that does not take up their cross cannot be his disciple. But if you're willing to do it, you can be just as near as you want to be. Would you stand with me this morning? on. I'm going to ask my wife to come up. Would you this morning and pray for us? Thank you. Lord, Thank you, first of all, Lord God, that, that these were not words of a, of a pastor that were spoken to us today, Lord God, but they were words that were inspired by you, Lord God, for us. And I pray and ask that they would sink deep within our hearts, Lord God, that we would, that we would be fertile ground for these words. 
would transform us and change us, Lord God, that things that we've already heard you say in the quiet place, or as we're thinking or driving, Lord God, that these, these words would just sink in and point us in the right direction towards you, Lord God. I pray for these people, Lord God, today, what I pray for my babies every single night at the end of the day. I say, Lord, more than anything, I pray for the blood of Jesus to cover my babies from the top of their head to the soles of their feet. And that I pray more than anything, Lord God, that no matter what happens in this life, Lord God, that they would know you and that they would love you, Lord God, that they would be called your friend from an early age, Lord God that you would just draw them close, Lord God. And I pray this over our church today, Lord God, that you would cover them with the blood of your son Jesus from the top of their head to the soles of their feet, Lord God. And that they would always know you and always love you deeply, Lord God, and be called your friend, Lord. And I just ask this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Before you're dismissed, could I ask one favor of you? Would you stand? It won't take 90 seconds. Let our parents with children in the nursery and kids own. I'm at 365. Go first. And that way, because we try to get, there's a traffic jam sometimes there. So those with kids, if you need to go, the rest of us will give you 90 second head start before we go. Give them a chance to leave first.